Oh man, fun in the summer sun. It buns out. My buns are out. And, uh, I'm with my double bun brother, William Payne, ready to talk about some wrestling, some grapples this week. How are you today, William? You know, uh, I've been better. I've been worse. I feel like uh, the the false summer, the kind of phase that we're in in Nashville, is it's, it was really beautiful, and then it's getting a little chilly, and then. Uh, but yeah, man, it's 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 gorgeous out. I got nothing to complain about, and uh, there is an endless supply of weird and wonderful wrestlers to discuss with you, Chris Banna, and I'm super juiced for that. You should be. You should be. You should be full of juice. We are not an internationally known, uh, you know, podcast yet. So uh, shockingly, announcements are low. So yeah. will get us into yeah. this week's <laughs> no new business to dis- no new business the to week. discuss today. Um, yeah, so this week, um, <clears throat> you know, I think that we we're, I'm going to give this disclaimer whenever it's my turn to do Jabber of the Week. Um, Always. I think it's a, good. Yeah. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll put our, our stank on it uh, every week, hopefully, and, and mix it up so it doesn't sound like the, t- the T's and C's at the bottom of your PayPal transaction. Um, mm-hmm. But being a jobber doesn't mean you're bad at wrestling. Being a jobber doesn't mean you didn't make a difference. Being a jobber didn't mean that you were a jobber for long. Sometimes people get weird uh, gimmicks that they can't make work and they have to do the job for a while and they're back to the they're back to the grind and some people can be jobbers and be you know world champions and hall of famers so uh, yeah today i'm going to set that precedent with uh one that uh, if, if he isn't already in the hall of fame he is well on his way it is mr barry darso jobber of the week who wrestled as several wrestlers. Including, yeah, that, that, that name is, is foreign to me. Uh, you, he, you probably never, uh, he was not, he was in the early 80s as himself, but he wrestled as Smash and Demolition. But that's not what we're discussing today. What we're discussing today instead is his time as Mr. Hole in One. <laughs> oh, I'm here for this. So I'm going to drop a, uh, a picture in the chat for Chris here, uh, and you can just react to this picture uh, at your leisure. I'd like you to kind of walk me through what kind of uh, Mr. Hole-in-One we're dealing with today. Um, yeah, happy to. Happy to. Mr. Hole-in-One. Mm-hmm. Uh, he looks like a, you know, jacked, <laughs> like a jacked golfer like that, you know, I don't want to. I don't want any of these wrestlers ever to hear this and take this the wrong way. So uh-huh. I'll be, I will be careful with my words. Um, he looks like a scruffy guy, you know, mm-hmm. who's really jacked. Like he might be more at home, like you know, working on a car. But for some reason, he's wearing golf apparel today, and he's a also like collar golfer. Yeah, and he's also like really angry about. It. He's like, hey mm-hmm. man, uh, I'm super jacked. And if you cross my path, I'm going to hit you with these clubs. I'm hole in one. Yeah. M- Mr. Hole in one. Mr. Uh, yeah. He, so yeah, Mr. Hole in one is kind of an anomaly to me. So he, he wrestled as a lot of different um, gimmicks, like I said, and had a kind of a storied career and held many belts. I think he had the most success obviously as smash and demolition, but for a weird period of time, kind of post demolition days in 97 to 99 in WCW, he got, 
package is a lot of different stuff. And so uh, let me Old give one's you a, pretty great. Yeah, let me give you, let me give you a, a, a window into his time as Mr. Hole in one. I'm ready. So uh, October 17th, 98 on edition of Sunday night, he was packaged repackaged as Mr. Hole in one, Barry Darso, a villainous golf player. So your, your initial at first blush, your reaction to his, photo was about right he's a villainous golf player and listener he doesn't look like like a villainous golf player like from a movie where like a rich guy is secretly plotting the no he's the other way no he's the other way he's like an actual like 80s villain like big big beefy golf boy uh (laughs) he often entered the ring in casual wear and a flat cap as if ready to golf Prior to matches, he would offer his opponents vic- a victory if they could make a putt in the ring. And I Googled a bunch of videos of him looking for a promo. Couldn't find one, but found a ton of videos of him golfing in the ring. That's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. This um, is wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did you guys come here for? Wrestling? Cool. Hold on. I'm going to roll out go. my my putting mat and challenge this guy. So it's 98. <laughs> that's got to be like, I'm not sure when Happy Gilmore came out, but that's got to be right around that time or something. Uh. That's a really 96 uh, I, I, Happy Gilmore came out. Okay. 96. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I was, that was me furiously Googling that. Cause it's a very good point. Like I wonder if extreme golf got a bit of a, a tip from Sandler uh, in 96. Well, at any rate, he, uh, he would often sneakily attack the opponent while golfing. So it was, it was all a ruse. Um, they put him in a feud with Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Again, this is 98. So it wasn't like primetime Jim Duggan. Uh and typically he worked the, the weekly shows uh, on in April of 99. He dropped the golfer gimmick. Cool. Whatever. He went back shame, to his given shame back to his given name, wearing a black singlet uh, team with Bobby Eaton uh, jobbed out to the Harlem heat. Uh, and then uh, <laughs> due, to, due to a blow to the head, he picked up an amnesia gimmick wherein he would reprise a different one of his past gimmicks every single week. This person I like this is lot. the walking, talking, living, breathing jobber of the week, because here's where I tell you who he has been in the past. <laughs> he was Barry Darso, the blacktop bully, Crusher Darso, Crusher Khrushchev, which I guess is a kind of an offensive, you know, like Cold War kind of guy, Mr. Hole-in-One and the illustrious repo man who i didn't pick on purpose because i feel like that's a whole other thing kind of vocational based i didn't know this he was also repo man he was also repo man so Uh, he's a feature full episoder for sure 100 but he but but i just love that during his mr hole in one era he was he was in an amnesia uh angle where he just like would come up and almost like Jay Lethal does now sometimes where he does like homage to old wrestlers when he gets banged in the head. But except for this guy was just play, paying homage to his old gimmicks every time he got banged in the head. And then uh, he returned, he reprised Khrushchev and then he uh, returned to Mr. Hole in One in September of 99. Uh, and then in October, he returned to his Black Pop Bully gimmick. And then he remained as him when he lost his final match against Steven Regal in December of 99. And that's when he left WCW. So not only was he um, reprising old weird gimmicks um, week to week, just to keep it fresh, uh, starting with Mr. Hole in one, but then he also just jobbed the whole time and jobbed out to Steven Regal. And then he was gone. Uh, and I, mm. that is 
my hole in one gone too soon. Hole <laughs> in one gone too soon. I I couldn't just like I couldn't believe it, uh, and it made me happy, and uh, it just got better and better. That's the best part about a good wiki article is when it just it just builds and builds, and then you hit this crescendo, and you're like, I can't even believe this. So that That's is amazing. Mr. Hole in One. All right, hey, great, great. Uh, you know, he's got some real gimmick Hall of Fame potential. All right, mm-hmm. we. We're building up some people, you know, for maybe our first induction ceremony here in a few episodes, you know? Yeah. Um, wow. Okay, man, here we go. Yeah, like, man. We're just getting right into it, down down to business. Yeah. I feel like... Just like Barry here. Darso, just like Barry Darso would have wanted us to do. That's right. To the untrained ear, you may think this is episode four, but I will have you know, it could be episode six if different things had not taken place. Uh-huh. So welcome to episode four. Um, but I feel like I've already been learning how to mix up, you know, thinking outside of the box of just just a wrestler. Mm-hmm. And I just happened to stumble upon an uh, incredible primarily manager last week. This yeah, week. Kenny Casanova was an all-timer. Or I guess two weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah, two weeks. We will be talking about an all-timer in regards to a wrestling promotion. Okay. Happily so named. <laughs> we're, we're four episodes in and we've only done two real human being main event wrestlers. Hey, <laughs> you buckle up. This I'm here is wrestling it. wiki. I'm all right. We it. are, we're trying to get the potato salad of wrestling here. Okay. We need to <laughs> throw it off. This is the tale of the short lived wrestling promotion incredibly strange wrestling well that seems a little on the nose doesn't it i that you know it's we've talked about this before it's good advertising (laughs) yeah you know you just the things that you want to put up for sale you know you just say exactly what they are yeah so okay here we go so incredibly strange wrestling was a san francisco-based professional burlesque uh, re- I sound like I was going to say burlesque promotion, yeah. <laughs> wrestling promotion. I would buy Hevi- that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, heavily influenced by mass wrestling or Lucha Libre. Mm-hmm. The event combined wrestling matches with performances by punk, rockabilly, garage, psychobilly, and thrash metal bands. That's awesome. I've already, I've had this idea. It was supposed to happen this year, the first ever Romanus rock and wrestling. Yeah. And there would be a band that would play. And as soon as they're done, curtain drops all right and then the curtain then gets used for the wrestlers to make their entrance wrestling match happens band changeover happens next bit dude so perfect okay these guys were ahead of it all right it's founded in 95 Uh um it was intended as an affectionate satire of lucha libre uh, incredibly strange wrestling was created as a nightclub event by Johnny legend and August Ragon, just posing satirical matches with live musical performances. ISW also featured many semi and pro wrestlers from the California circuits and eventually showcased several professional luchadors from Mexico. Okay. This promotion ran continuously from 95 to the early two thousands. Now we live in a landscape now where a lot of what we would call like, uh, you know, I don't know, just like wacky wrestling, you know, gimmick wrestling is very yeah. pop. It's more popular and accepted. And 95, I mean, WWF is like maybe a year out of 
being knee deep and just having like, oh, and this week, Mantar, you know, debuts. And they're already like in on the joke. And so I really appreciate that. Now, as we go through the history of this promotion, listener, bear in mind, we do not condone all of these gimmicks. And some of them actually we're not even going to discuss because they're they're pretty distasteful. And some of it you can chalk up to a product of its time. And some of you can chalk up to just a product of like poor taste shock value for sure. Yeah. Okay. Chris, Chris ran a couple of these past me. And the first thing that popped into my head was um, like Tom Green. This is absolutely the era of like, how far can we push it? What's the cheapest heat we can get? Uh, just be as, as like offensive as possible. So it reeks of that, but it doesn't mean that it's not in poor taste now. So <laughs> I appreciate the, I appreciate the, the, the uh, restraint. Yeah. Um, so, oh man, I'm just so excited. This like, there, it's just, <laughs> this article actually isn't even that big, but no, there's enough, but there's enough juice here that it's, uh, it's going to be well worth your time. So I, I encourage you not to skip ahead. I will like, actually, I just clicked on, I just clicked on, uh, Johnny legend just to see what he was all about. Good, good, good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Incredibly strange wrestling came to fruition at the Transmission Theater, a now defunct venue, formerly the Transmission Shop, located in San Francisco's south of Market District in 1995. It originated at an event at the DNA Lounge in 1990, the Fest, put together by future <laughs> Hey Ride to Hell drummer Joey Myers and wrestling, music, and movie entrepreneur Johnny Legend and local music events promoter August Ragone. I hope I'm saying Ragone. It's probably Ragone. I'm saying Ragone. Whatever. It's it's our podcast. There's no Mm -hmm. rules. Um, This show featured live music performances by the Mummies, Phantom Surfers, and Johnny Legend and his his Rockabilly Bastards. (laughs) (laughs) Video Uh presentations and a Lucha Libre match between Ragone and future Hellbellies from Hell, uh, Hell Billy's frontman Barry Evans. Hmm. The Lucha Libre aspects were built upon each sub, sub, uh, sub. My gosh, enjoy that just mashed potato mouth. Mm-hmm. Subsequent Johnny Legend show at okay. various venues around the Bay Area until the early part of 1995 when they were tapped to do their first all wrestling event. So this reeks of me and Warner just going off the deep end and just committing to wrestling only and just be like, all right, the band's done. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) All right. The people, the people have spoken. Um, Brett Keeble, a friend of Ragones who was working at the paradise lounge. These are the most California named places ever, by the way. Uh, And and Johnny legend looks like a California dude. Uh, So for what it's worth, kind of keep that in mind. Form, inform that to your your yeah. your wishes the palace um, of your mind uh a friend of her groans who was working at the paradise lounge informed him that club owner robin reichert was preparing to launch a new venue next door and was looking for some good ideas to launch the new nightclub space that's mm-hmm. how i open up a new business yeah hey, you got any ideas <laughs> i just i just put a lease down for a year you guys got any got any business ideas for this place yeah should i put any any chairs in this joint what about drinks i don't know i'm new yeah i can't decide (laughs) Um, am i gonna sell carpet or (laughs) you know you tell me um (laughs) ragone and keeble Mm -hmm. 
pitched for a rotating monthly series of after hour shows, which would include masked Mexican wrestling. I love that's in parentheses, Lucha Libre. Um, uh, Riker told them to put a show together initially promoted as rockabilly wrestling. This is also the time of rockabilly late nineties. Rockabilly was having like a, yeah, a thing. Okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, the PT cruiser wasn't made too much longer. So, Oof. yeah. You know. And you're, and, and Chris, you are a notable, like, proponent of the PT cruiser. You're a big fan. One I'm, of few. I'm, I'm a f- fan's the wrong word. <laughs> You've owned more than I have. So there's well, that. I buy and fix vehicles. That's different. So <laughs> I appreciate the PT tangent. Mm-hmm. I appreciate the PT cruiser's place in the world. Mm-hmm. Okay. I understand that it's not the best vehicle on the planet. It did not age well from looks. I am. Which is funny considering it was based on an old car in the first place. So it aged poorly twice. I understand all of this. It's got some serious design flaws as someone who's worked on them. Yes. I will tell you. Yeah. I think it's one of the best like, Hey, I've got a thousand dollars. I need a car. Yeah. I think there's a bunch of, you'll be hard pressed. Correct. To find a better bank for your buck vehicle at a thousand dollars than a PT cruiser. And it's a hard sell. There's a, they made a bajillion of them. So parts are cheap. And then also like the fact is there's, they made so many, they are then also cheap themselves. So as a point of reference, it was in rough shape earlier this year, just for a friend to help them out. They needed a cheap car. I found a clean title PT cruiser with 73,000 miles on it. It was rough. I paid $650 for it. <laughs> That's yeah. Any, any car that runs and goes for 600. Yeah. For $600, you've, you have already broken the, the game. So I went and bought them new tires. I said, Hey, you need to do a little suspension work on this left front and put some, put some brakes on it. Yeah. After a thousand dollars, they had a clean title vehicle with leather. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Good. But some nice, some nice leather. All right. It's got four gears. It's all great. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, thousand bucks. You can't beat that. So uh-huh. I digress. Yeah. I digress. Yeah. Okay. The PT and the PT Cruiser biggest thing. And every, you can say you don't like it. The PT Cruiser is, was the forerunner to the crossover. It created the crossover market in the United States. This is the easiest way, listener, to wind up Chris is to get him to get off <laughs> on a tangent about a a much much uh, maligned, much maligned. Mis- misunderstood, <laughs> goofy looking car. Uh, I knew that was gonna work. Go. <laughs> yeah, back to wrestling. Yeah, back to wrestling. Why'd you do that to me? Well, all right, good. I'm just I'm a simple man of simple pleasures. All right. Uh, oh, okay, man. so. Businessman McGee opens up, you know, yeah, a business doesn't know what kind of business he's gonna do. <laughs> Let him do talks to his friends. Wrestling. Yeah, he's like rockabilly wrestling. Sounds like a sounds like a blast. Got it. So legend thus coined the moniker incredibly strange wrestling and sought permission from his friend Ray Dennis Stecker, who directed the incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed up zombies. That's a movie, and I want to see it very much. Again, again, unbelievably on the nose. I feel like you like that's the trailer in the sentence. So there's a theme. Yeah. So he gives his blessing. Like, yes, you may adopt, (laughs) you know, a surname, so to speak, (laughs) for your ragtag wrestling. Yeah. Which is a uh, a huge upgrade from Rockabilly Wrestling for the record, but not much. It was. It was. 
Uh, I mean, it's what made me research it. Right. During the first summer, ISW went on the road for the West Coast leg of Lollapalooza 95, arranged by legend Perry Farrell. This is wild. It's wild to me that like this guy keeps on getting himself. Oh, oh, Perry Farrell is the guy from Jane's Addiction. Mm -hmm. Wow. How is this guy so plugged in? How is how is uh, Johnny Legend so so involved? Uh, seems like a pretty cool dude. I don't know. I guess so. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and look, Rockabilly was hot. And, yeah, you know, true. he's probably like, hey, man, dude, I've I've got the I know this may seem out of my wheelhouse, but I've got this idea for this like retro inspired car that like, you know, <laughs> will appeal to the masses and will really <laughs> tie into the Rockabilly market. And he's like, yeah, tell me about it. He's like, OK, OK, it's called the PT go, Cruiser. Go with me. Right. <laughs> So you're trying uh, to say Johnny Legend may also simultaneously be responsible for your favorite car of all time. Got it. Cool. It's not not even close. <laughs> you stop it. All I want you to know about Rockabilly and the PT Cruiser is yeah. Brian Setzer had his own like you're trim level me. line. And it was called like the Vavoom or something like, like that. Like the Eddie Bauer edition. Uh, yeah. Land yeah. Rover was the, yeah. was the but Brian I don't, Setzer I don't, PT We don't have time. Cruiser. Look, we don't have time for this. If you want to listen to a great PT Cruiser podcast, go listen to Pass Gas from Donut Media. They have a really good like hour and a half special on the PT Cruiser. It's worth their time. Oh my God. I'm, I'm looking at the picture of Brian Setzer in front of his very own PT Cruiser. Yeah. It looks like a Hot Wheels car. It's terrible. Yeah. Like designed by a seven-year-old. Yeah, it's a so, bad okay. look. We're done. No more PT Cruisers. Uh, yeah. It was not Whew. in my show notes. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> this is your fault. Okay. Ragone and Keeble subsequently asked band manager Audra Angeli Moros, then then employed at the Paradise Lounge, okay. gosh, to come aboard and handle the business end of the show. While they and Legend worked on the creative aspects for reasons that are still unclear, um, Angeli forced out Legend despite the protest of Ragone and Keeble. How? I'm, I don't know. Okay. I'm just assuming that I'm messing up every name. Uh, eventually, Angeli Morris started a takeover of the event. I love that they have an invasion angle before their uh, promotions even yeah, start. There's already trouble in Paradise Lounge, as it were. With Ragona Keeble eventually parting ways, Shane, oh, man. Uh, with, uh, with ISW. Ah, oh, man. There's no number, there's no there's no uh date years on these by the way. It says they went from 95 to early 2000s. Do you think this is later in the game or is this like This is still a 95. This is all in 95? Yeah, so this is like wrestling wiki and like you know you kick me out after 5 episodes. Unbelievable. Um, yeah. Hostile uh, takeover. Uh, Ragone continued on with producing live events including several classic horror film festivals at the Castro Theater and authored Elijah Oh, that's a that's a that's a word from not around here. Uh, Master of Monsters. Got it. Cool. <laughs> Which received positive reviews, including from Time Magazine. Keeble is married and currently resides in Colorado. That's like your personal information. They Sub- are married. Sub- Subaraya, I believe. Mm, that sounds good. Sounds good to me. <laughs> After the split, Legend ran his own Los Angeles-based version of Incredibly Strange Wrestling and uh-huh. booked matches at horror conventions such as Fangoria's Weekend of Horrors in Southern California, covered in a Flipside Magazine interview. 
Okay. During its heyday, Incredibly Strange Wrestling was a featured attraction during many summer festival tours, including a low-budget U.S. club tour in 97, headlined by Me First and the Gimme Gimme's Vans Warp Tour in 01, and the Destruction Tour in Europe in 2003 with no effects. Wow. After a long hiatus, the promotion announced some summer festival dates in 07, but these events never materialized. Now, so music is very tied in to the existence of all this. And it's okay. not like these are super obscure bands. I mean, the, you know, you'll get to the band stuff, but like me first and the Gimme Gimme's and, and no, no effects they mentioned already. Those are, you know, household yeah. names at this point. Totally. So I'm going to read you a list of some of the more notable bands that they worked with alongside this promotion. And then yeah. we're going to get into the promotion. <laughs> There's so many names. <laughs> All right, I'm only actually going to be able to describe some of their gimmicks, like with with some detail, their story. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll just get into it. So bands, notable bands that performed with uh, ISW shows during the height during its height in the '90s included Mike Watt, NoFX, the Super Suckers, Bum, the Bomboras, the Dickies, Fear, the Ghastly Ones, Legendary Invisible Men, the Queers. I've been to like three queer shows. Yeah, I love the queers. They were on my very first Punkarama album I ever bought. Super fun. Um, I've seen them in a church basement once. That was an interesting interesting show. Uh, Demented Argo, The Donnas, Deadbolt, Me First and the Gimme Gimme's, and the Mad Capsule Markets. So, yeah, a lot of just punk rock, rockabilly, you know, very tied in. So, the wrestling, that's what we're here. That's what we're here to learn about. Okay. Yeah. That's the, that's the juice, the sauce. Okay. So we got this, we got this promotion, you know, called incredibly strange wrestling. You know, they play in venues and do with music. All right. The real question here is, did they deliver on the wrestling being very strange, Chris? That is, that is correct. So strange listener, I again do not condone all of these names. I'm going to give some reference to some and others. I will flat out not touch. (laughs) They are not, appropriate then they're not appropriate now okay we have an agreement if you uh say i if you agree listener all right good yeah um, yeah that sounds good so again all their gimmicks are wrapped up in you know luchador you know kind of heritage so and i'm only going to in- include you know this is actually a better time for me to for you to hear from the horse's mouth there's a book that was written. This will serve as a great intro called beer, blood and cornmeal seven years of incredibly strange wrestling. Oh, wow. There's a, there's a book that I fully intend to, uh, you know, buy at some point. And I'm going to share this little, little book excerpt promo to kind of get you an idea of where we're going. So love it. Here we go. Share screen. Are you ready? Will? Yeah. We were rated the worst wrestling promotion year after year by the Wrestling Observer Newsletter until Time Warner's WCW was able to wrest that distinction from us by spending millions of dollars producing some of the worst television imaginable. A guy in a chicken suit and El Homo Loco were our biggest stars. We had a Scientologist boy band and a Mexican Viking. People threw tortillas at us. The promoters actually passed them out before the show and encourage the booze hounds, party girls, and retro hipsters that press themselves up against the ring to fling them at the wrestlers. Nobody was supposed to take this seriously. What's more, we all had day jobs. We weren't exactly never-bins or also-rans. 
Incredibly Strange Wrestling was the hottest show in San Francisco during those years when the 20th century collided into the 21st. We started out in the South of Market Club scene and ended up selling out the Fillmore more times than many rock stars. We toured the US and Europe and landed ourselves on TV and in newspapers. Your typical ISW show combined two sets of surreal satire dressed up as mass Mexican wrestling with raucous post-punk sets by bands like the Super Suckers, No Effects, the Dickies, and the Queers. The Donnas once opened for ISW when they were still just fresh-faced schoolgirls from the ritzy suburbs of Palo Alto. After, after they finished their set of Bubblegum Arena Rock, they had to suffer the indignity of sharing the backstage with a bunch of half-dressed flabby wrestlers. The wrestlers had to strain to avoid leering at so much musical jailbait. At our height, Billy Joe Armstrong of Green Day and James Hetfield of Metallica could be seen shouting at ringside. Jello Biafra of the Dead Kennedys often played the part of a bad guy manager, and Fred Durst of Limp Bizkit once even begged to get into our wrestling ring. We made more money than we ever should have from the wrestling show, but we never could have scratched out a living from it in expensive San Francisco, even if we ate at the taco truck every day for the rest of our lives. We all had to be our boring, normal selves most of the time, our livelihoods depending on it. But therein lies the appeal of going utterly bonkers and strutting around the Haight-Ashbury with your mask on and cursing out street kids like you're a mutant hybrid of Stone Cold Steve Austin and Rey Mysterio Jr. As Count Dante, I was the deadliest man alive. I owned a mansion and a yacht. I had a kung fu rock and roll success seminar. I could disable any attacker in less than 30 seconds with my killer karate grip. Count Dante didn't default on his student loans or have John Rocker of Rocker Studios confiscate his band equipment for failing to pay the rent for five months in a row. Count Dante never had to leave half his dick at the door so he could shelve library books for eight bucks an hour. But I knew when to leave the Count in the ring or on the rock and roll stage where his penchant for leopard print kimonos and fiery oratory were appropriate. Or at least I thought I did. The rest of the wrestlers had their day jobs too. The cruiser was a web designer and animator, but he had no problems diving off a 20-foot ladder into a vat of canned chocolate pudding when you put him in front of 1,300 paying customers. El Homo Loco worked for a biotech firm. Super Polga was a school teacher, and El Pollo Diablo, the eight-foot-tall cock from hell, ran a mailroom at a document delivery company. Nobody was supposed to take this shit seriously, but they did. All right. Wow. So... Wow. Lot, lots of digest there. Yeah. One, I want to get this book. Yeah. That was the author speaking, like reading an excerpt from the book in front of a bookstore where a million buses decided to go by at the same time. Yeah. Like San Francisco, you know? Yeah. We, I live yeah. in uh, Franklin, Indiana. Public transit is, uh, is <laughs> never, never been seen. Um, I live in Nashville where it's not much better, frankly. <laughs> yeah. But the thought of like, you know, like, Hey, at its peak, you know, Metallica is showing up to this. Green Day showing up Fred to this. Durst, they, Fred Durst. Fred Durst. When Fred Durst is ruling the world. When Fred Durst yeah. is not something to laugh at and jest, you know, like or is just like, hey, this. Remember when this was a fun Green, time? Billy Joe Armstrong of Green Day and Fred Durst may be the two most popular male musicians in 1999. Like, like, let's be real. Like that was like totally. an unbelievable number of people would have would have killed for that. Yeah. Wow. So you know they had their success. Um, this, this 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 article doesn't do a good enough job. I feel like with all the material out there from the horse's mouth in this book, this article, the Wikipedia, I'm glad that you had the supplemental information because the Wikipedia does not do 
justice to just how popular. I mean, they say, oh, they went on tour and like, you know, right. I went to I went to Bonnaroo in 2007 and they had a sideshow tent that had some like fire jugglers and some like comedy acts and stuff. And it was it was like a it was like a true sideshow. I was envisioning them at a tent off the main stage doing goofy wrestling stuff while people waited around, you know, to get into to, to you know, corn. I did not anticipate they were like the as big a deal as they were. Yeah. Um, and Incredible. again, yeah. So he sets a stage. I think it's a lot better as we just go through this ginormous <laughs> list of wrestlers. And then I'm going to spotlight kind of one or two just a little bit. And then we're going to tap out. All right. Yeah. So in reference, he talks about, we heard about them throwing tortillas in the ring. Mm-hmm. The thought was that they knew people were going to be so hammered. All right. Cause people were like right at the ring. Um, there's actually some pictures and they're, I mean, they're just like pressed up against it. Right. And good what they, show. right. And what they would do is the promoter originally thought, Hey, they're going to throw something. If we pass out burritos, <laughs> this is, you know, if they throw them, it's going to hurt a lot less than throwing beer bottles. Okay. Yeah. So reasonably, some reasonable ideas, but let's talk about some of these wrestlers. And by talk about them, just kind of read through some of their names. <sighs> they're possibly their most popular wrestler was El Homo Loco, mm-hmm. who what wore a pink tutu. <laughs> he wore a pink tutu. All right. It was and the proud history of, you know, mid nineties wrestling and, you know, wrestling and drag. That was, believe it or yeah. not, I, I've been to a couple of Lucha Libre shows, like full on Lucha Libre shows. And there is like a, a weird history of like a character who like dresses in pink and acts effeminately. It doesn't mean it's any less problematic now than it was then, but like, it seems to be a trope, which is interesting. So maybe that is some, there's more context for that than I, than I thought originally. Now here comes, you know, let's just tear the band. <laughs> you've, been dancing, you've been dancing around this. I know, so <laughs> okay. Another extremely popular wrestler. Here we go. Buckle up. Yeah. Uh, the Poon Tangler. <laughs> <laughs> Golly. <laughs> I said the Poon Tangler. That's right. <laughs> a female wrestler who claimed to have many illegitimate children and fought several paternity suits in matches. <laughs> such a weird angle. As one does. Yeah, not um, against El Homo Loco, probably. This is actually... A group that we're going to focus on. Uh-huh. The ISW also featured a Scientologist boy band who would provoke the largely counterculture crowd with pop songs about Dianetics named 69 <laughs> Degrees. <laughs> which was which was ripped from the headlines because this is when 98 Degrees is probably at their zenith. Oh man, that's beautiful. Oh, and we're, <laughs> gonna, we're gonna talk more about more, more about 69 degrees. <laughs> Um, other ISW creations included, um, and again, if something in here is wildly offensive and I say it, I'm not, I, I literally may not know what these words mean. So (laughs) bear with me. The amazing, uh, Kaltiki. I have no idea. Uh, I, uh, the next one will definitely not be mentioned. It's Uh one of wrestling's worst gimmicks of all time. Uh, El Borracho Gigante, which means in Spanish, um, the large drunk. (laughs) <laughs> this is why you're worth having around. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. That's a big bus. Uh, Cletus the fetus Kincaid. 
man. This is wrestling. Uh, uh, here's a repug one. The abortionist. Yeah, that's that's a little dark to the point. Probably had a few with the fetus Kincaid. Uh, El Asino Postal. Not I sure don't know what that means. <sighs> El El Fisco Nuclear. That means the postal assassin, by the way. I imagine okay. that must be some sort of yeah. Great, great. R U R. R U R two thousand. Sorry. Okay. Anarchy. Is that an anarchist version of Archie? Yeah, I bet you that sounds like the perfect like late nineties post ironic kind of hipster thing to do. El Hajayo de Excuvito. Eho de Excuvito. Hey, that's why you're. Hey. Translator. <laughs> uh, Eho is child, executive child, I guess. Ex- executivo. Yeah, executivo. So that, that's like the boss baby. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> they must have They must have been way ahead of the game on boss baby. El Eho de Ex- uh, real, real forerunners here. Yeah. Um, Killer Chimera. Yeah. Harley Racist that's instead of hilarious. Harley Race. <laughs> that is really good. I'm just curious, though, what. Man, his gimmick seems like it would for him to really draw heat would have some really he'd have to go over some lines that I think would not be cool. Uh Vandal Drummond. Okay. La Chingonga. Okay. I don't Chingonga. that uh yeah, feel free. Please uh, tell me uh what would he find? Uh just keep up your English your Spanish to English translation. Okay, it's a Spanish, it's apparently a Spanish slang term that means a badass woman. Nice. Uh, that, so that's yeah, cool. Maybe yeah, it's kind of like a like a it, maybe it's lost in translation, but it means someone a lady who's a badass. That's not bad. Throw that one in the bedroom next time. There you go. Um, <laughs> if I can remember how to pronounce it. Right after she calls you this famous wrestler, the inbred abomination. <laughs> There's a theme if you haven't noticed of like extremely straightforward stuff along with some of the more nuanced stuff. I'm just imagining standing at five foot seven. 320 pounds. <laughs> the inbred <laughs> abomination. <laughs> ah. He's like a Quasimodo kind of ripoff. I don't know. You know, incredible. And, and almost all these are not clickable links. Yeah. Like basically all of them. Well, yeah, they're all, well, it's what's wild is they're all linked, but they're all like red links, which is a new experience for me on Wikipedia. They link to pages that don't exist. So it's like yeah. the, the, the the algorithm thinks that they should be links, but they're not. Uh, Chango Loco. Look that up. The best I can find is that's the other name for Shango, the major deity of the religion of Yoruba of southwestern Nigeria. Perfect. So You're doing a great have a, job. They have a common root with Papa Shango. We'll have to find out. El Polo Diablo. Pollo Diablo. The, um, the, the one that was mentioned heavily. In yes. The, in that. Uh, the eight foot giant <laughs> cock. <laughs> From hell. <laughs> if I, I actually did some further research uh he was a giant chicken mm-hmm. but he had like devil horns on that tracks okay uh-huh um <laughs> american man <laughs> which is awesome con c-o-n very yeah. subtle uh this is one of my favorite wrestlers a uh, libido libido gigante <laughs> <laughs> he got which is really good <laughs> <laughs> oh the next one's better even frankly uh uh ma- macho say it 
I'm working on it. <laughs> uh, macho Sasquatch. What I wouldn't give for like a, just a lineup like of all of these wrestlers. Oh. <laughs> oh man, you know, I don't have the Macho Sasquatcho rookie. I've been looking. Talk about front runners for like future merch. Yeah, Macho Sasquatcho. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if good. you're listening, uh, yeah, you know, please hit us we'd up. We'd love to license your, your wares. <laughs> <laughs> uh the mexican viking yeah the lounge lizard with double z which is yeah. interesting l impura impura thank you uh let me see what that means in french keep going um the cruiser u.s steel risa de morte and okay. count dante all right i'm really proud that i didn't butcher that word Okay, that was that was my big boy Spanish right there. Yeah. I think I watched, you know, Coco a couple of days ago. You know, I'm ready to get it. I think I think Lempure just means the emperor. Although I'm just, uh, yeah, I think that might be what it means. Although I might be on the fly doing it wrong. So a lot of these were just like clever plays on words or slightly offensive things. There were some though that Chris left out that trust us. Um, we're glad that we're left. Yeah. Out. Are wildly offensive. <laughs> yeah, even um, And there will be more as we go. Yeah. Uh, most read this at your leisure. Uh, you know, yeah, I don't know. Do something really pure when you're done. Yeah. Um, most, but not all of these names were coined by legend. Uh-huh. The promotion also presented outlandish gimmicks. I'm going to read this next one. And then the one after that, I'm not. And even for me, this one's kind of tough. Yeah. Such as Christians to Lions match where a cross toting ancient Christian named Jesus Cross fought a man in a lion suit. <laughs> I mean, that tracks with a lot of the kind of irreverent stuff they've been doing so far. Yeah. Um, Next one. Yep. 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 Dead Kennedy's frontman Jello Biafra? Biafra? Biafra. Local shock jock Dennis Erectus. Oh Dennis my gosh. Erectus. Seven seconds vocalists, Kevin Seconds, and Deadbolt. Deadbolt and Swamp Angel bassist often played heel managers at these shows. Unbelievable. So, yeah, it just started off kind of like as a, a haphazard thing. And then it turned into something and clearly was extremely popular for a period of time. And whenever you're getting to go, they're like, hey, you're on Warp Tour. We're going to like let you go wrestle at Warp Tour. Um, you know, they were doing something right. Um, so I want to take. A quick, quick little jaunt down memory lane and read a little more about 69 Degrees, um, the wrestling tag team that took on the Church of Scientology. Can I can I also say that I want I want two minutes to discuss a very fun fact that I found on Johnny Legend's Wikipedia while you were I'm, you were I'm ready. OK, no, I, 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 I'm happy to I'm happy to go after the uh, 69 now, Degrees. Now's a good time. I'm ready. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so the the there's very few notes on Johnny Legend's Wikipedia, but uh, I want to read this in its entirety and just kind of bask in it. In 1981, Legend and Linda Linda Latrec saw My Dinner with Andre, which is a you know kind of an art arty kind of film. The two thought of spoofing the film, and in 1982, the couple produced, 
wrote and together with Mike Shepard directed My Breakfast, My Breakfast with Blassie, starring comedian Eddie Kaufman and wrestling manager Freddie Blassie. And he was the guy who did Pencil Neck Geeks, right? Sounds right. Um, Legend's sister, Lynn Margulit Morgiles, uh, who also appeared in the film, subsequently became Andy Kaufman's girlfriend. So Johnny Legend. What a wicked web we weave. Johnny Legend managed to get Freddie Blassie involved in a spoof movie, which I don't know if anyone's ever seen. I'm I'm gonna mm-hmm. click it. Yeah. And then he uh it's about where Andy Kaufman and Freddie Blassie have a discussion, Blassie have a discussion over breakfast. Uh, and like, if anyone's here is familiar with Kaufman's work, it, it's very kind of all over the place. But like, what a what a wild fact about Johnny Legend. There's barely anything else on his um, on his Wikipedia, other than prime time, you know, yeah, wrestling <laughs> promotion runner. That's that's point number two, and it's less than a sentence long. It's wild. What a wild time in your life, you know. For yeah. seven years, you're living this, and you get a sentence. Yeah. So. I'm going to read part of this, this article here and uh, pull out kind of the best stuff I can. Before Hood Slam won coverage in Vice and the New York Times by bringing raunchy pro wrestling to drunks in Bay Area warehouses, there was incredibly strange wrestling. Its star attractions were tutu-clad, again, El Homo Loco there of is. the time, a feminine powerhouse called the Poontangler, <laughs> El Polo Diablo, who pecked around the ring in a chicken suit with horns. But even with the roster like that, the show is best known for encouraging the fans to throw corn tortillas at wrestlers. The promoter, Audra Moros, handed them out before the show, figuring that her audience was going to throw something and tortillas hurt a lot less than beer bottles. ISW started in the Soma nightclub scene in the mid-90s, had a successful, if irregular, run at the Fillmore in the early 2000s. As Count Dante, a motivational speaker with a passion for leopard print kimonos, I saw I was a sometime grappler and a full-time MC with the outfit. Mm. I was also one of the people who came up with this stuff. Usually during boozy gab fest held at Annie's, a punk rock dive bar across the street from San Francisco's criminal courthouse. One of the funniest concepts to come out of these late night bookie meetings was 69 Degrees, the Scientologist <laughs> boy band tag team. <laughs> now the name was pretty dumb but it was comedy gold when bad boy Corey and dancing joey hit the ring holding up dianetics and rapping about freeing yourself from the reactive mind <laughs> they did some research there yeah well well they're they're like at the home of scientology so it makes sense that's a good point uh, yeah somewhere nearby um when i was in hollywood i me and warner walked past the home the, the big crazy scientology center yeah yeah Ooh. um while the concept may have been hashed out during those bookie meetings, it was fleshed out literally by Daniel Martin, a good-looking suburban kid who can nail high-flying flips off the top rope, and Andrew Thompson, a bouncer from the CW Saloon who provided the muscle. 69 Degrees provided much-needed foils for El Homo Loco and the Cruiser, ISW's gay tag team. Oh, the Golly. Cruiser. It just it just dawned on me. Yeah. Got it. That I didn't I didn't get his name until just now when he was paired with his tag team partner. We are here to document existence. <laughs> yeah, Bear with it. us. Got it, got it, got it, got it. These clashes centered around 69's attempt to convert El Homo Loco to heterosexuality by pointing out 
pointing plastic ray guns at dehomosexualizing box designed by L. Ron Hubbard himself. Oh, no. It's like a gore show. This is like, there's no rules. That made me feel a little better about the El Homo Loco gimmick. If only they were like poking fun at like the, you know, uh, the change culture, I guess, you know, like that's actually, it's, it's funny to mention because like there have been other like kind of gay panic gimmicks, right? Like think like early gold dust that was like meant to draw heat. People were uncomfortable with like people gender bending or whatever, but this is kind of full circle where like actually the El Homo Loco gimmick was meant to, well, they were, they were faces and like they, the, yeah. the, the dudes who were trying to convert them back to not being gay were the ones were the heels. Yeah. That's so it's a kind of a fun, like sunrise sunset on that. Or I mean, not, not completely, but certainly in that context. Um, which was just a spray painted cardboard box. So L Ron Hubbard's, <laughs> you know, powerful machine was a spray painted cardboard box. There's a picture of one of them in the box and they're pulling his arms, aiming the ray guns at him. When that failed, 69 degrees, 69 degrees boasted a repertoire of ridiculous wrestling moves with names like Tom Cruise Missile. (laughs) I mean... It's the it's the most it's the lowest hanging fruit, but it, it tastes so good. And forty million dollar flop, uh-huh. named for the box office fortunes of John Travolta's Battlefield Earth. That is a really good dunk. I really- yeah, that's a super that's a super nuanced dunk. <laughs> you think Which Travolta t- ever? You think that like some of those rock and roll oh. guys ever like put that in Travolta's face? Like you know, there's some dudes who who slam dunk on you. In their like weird wrestling events. Yeah. Which Thompson developed from a careful study of kid and play videos. (laughs) (laughs) How is this a real life? How did this happen? Oh my God. The, The Scientology satire cruised under the radar while ISW stayed a San Francisco nightclub act garnering only local press in the days before things really went viral. That all changed when ISW landed on the Vans Warped Tour in 2001, taking 69 degrees along with it. Rolling Stone included an item about ISW in their summer concert issue, and several regional newspapers ran pictures of 69 degrees and their Warped Tour features, making it look like they were one of Warped Tour's musical acts along with (laughs) Blink-182 and Flogging Molly. we're almost Uh, there also if you google 69 degrees y'all all all it's gonna do is give you conversions to fahrenheit the first 10 (laughs) results are all just (laughs) how to convert okay go ahead our first encounter with actual scientologists happened on the last leg of the tour in west virginia just outside of dc we had indie wrestlers coming up to us all the time asking to join the show on that tour so when this really big guy asked me if he could talk to the promoter, I just pointed him to the merch tent. I figured he was a wrestler. He looked like Colonel Sanders at a Trekkie convention with white hair and red suspenders, <laughs> Thompson recalled. He offered to take 69 degrees on a tour of the Church of Scientology in D.C. We wanted to go for video footage, Thompson continues, but we had an early bus time that night and couldn't take him up on the offer. 
Even though that meeting was cordial enough, I had the feeling that if Martin and Thompson were allowed to go on that church tour, we'd never see them again. Half of my ideas for 69 degree matches came from repeating readings, the thriving cult of greed and power. Richard Bahar's 1991 Time Magazine Church of Scientology expose that was a precursor to Lawrence Wright's Going Clear. I knew the church's use of intimidation and lawsuits, but at the time, I just cravingly wondered how we could get publicity out of a clash with Tom Cruise's cult of choice. After West Virginia, the Scientologists kept coming. Thompson remembers the confrontations getting weirder, and two Scientologists would be waiting for them at ringside after 69 degrees bouts with the Mexican Viking and Macho Sasquatcho as the tour <laughs> made its way through the East Coast. Oh my God. <laughs> After a few tense encounters where Scientologists had to be escorted out by event security, Thompson did a pretty good job of avoiding them. I changed the intent and didn't go through the crowd in costume, Thompson said. While ISW wasn't hit with thousands of lawsuits that Scientology chief David Miscavige threw at the IRS and going clear, it wasn't long before ISW's official email was flooded with cease and desist notices from Hubbard's church. We pressed on with 69 degrees, usually having them lose by submission to El Homo Loco and the cruiser. <laughs> Just really, really driving it home. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, yeah, I'm just going to keep reading. Yeah, please. But please. we knew it was pretty much at the end of the line for the team, even though they still earned really strong fan reactions wherever we went. Cheer up, Dante. Martin told me at the time, maybe I can become Enrique Iglesias of Baha'i. Uh-huh. We didn't. We did exact some payback on the Scientologists when several of the wrestlers, myself included, barged into the Church of Scientology's New York headquarters on 42nd Street during a break from the tour. We were like an angry mob of maybe six or seven dudes. I I don't know if that constitutes a mob. I don't know. Martin said before, reminding me of that I was drunk and whatnot. <laughs> We clogged up their lobby, making absurd proclamations and asking really dumb questions about marijuana legalization. Martin and Thompson, whom the Scientologists had been after for weeks, kept to the back of the room, standing next to an enormous bronze bust of Hubbard that recreated the church's founder's chest hairs in alarming detail. (laughs) This writer paints an amazing picture. Really? After uh, the guy who wrote this article actually wrote that book. Um, Okay, got it. He's a good writer. I like this guy. Yeah. After several minutes of this, a, skull, a school marm in an admiral's outfit threatened to call the cops, so we got the hell out of there. <laughs> this was probably the dumbest thing I've ever been a part of, but it seemed pretty righteous at the time. 69 Degrees last appearance was at ISW's, golly, homomania uh-huh. in October 2001. They just couldn't stop, which was both our triumphant return home after our final show at the Fillmore. Gigs dried up for us in that post 9-11 landscape and opportunities for more tours had a way of falling through. ISW gotten farther than it ever should have, but after watching Going Clear on HBO, I now can't help but wonder if the Church of Cruz and Travolta didn't have a hand in canceling our ticket. Whoa. There we go. So that's your that's a good little, you know, tiny deep dive on 69 degrees. I mean, a <clears throat> the whole ISW scene is so incredible to me. It was helmed, at least briefly, by good friend of the master of nothing comedy, Andy Kaufman. It pushed the envelope in every direction. 
and it may there may have been <laughs> a sinister hand at play at the end uh it has everything it's got intrigue it's got sex it's got violence it's the whole it's all of it it's got homophobia it's yeah. got it all yeah it's but got you know, gay panic and gay and and but it's got like the the, the top tag team is like <laughs> Yeah, but it seems like they at least tried to turn it on its head, I guess. So yeah, well, I mean, there's, 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 it, it paved the way in some perverted way, I'm sure, for any sort of actual positivity around this in wrestling. You know, like people were able to talk about it, I guess, and hopefully they were, they weren't, you know, ill-meaning on it. Now the way that we're trying to like, kind of, you know, like, yeah, you know, like this gimmick, you know, yeah. uh, there are some other gimmicks that are they're unedible. Okay, yeah. they're just. Yeah. They're reprehensible. They're terrible. Trust us. And yeah. So read it, read it your leisure. But that, that basically tells the tale of incredibly strange wrestling today. And, and it perfectly illustrates the beauty of Wikipedia that led us down this hole. And we ended at the, the Scientology punk rock wrestling tag team, 69 degrees. Now, before, oh boy. before we leave today, yeah. I want to tease you, listener, Ooh. with some potential future other wrestling promotions that we're going to cover. It's an angle I didn't ever expect. And one of the great things about some of these weird promotions is you're able to do deep dives on certain gimmicks and, you know, whatever. Um, and it's just, it's really interesting what you can find. So I'm going to give you just a couple nuggets just to wet your palate. <laughs> All right. And then we're, uh, we're, we're going to be on our way. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give you two, two quick ones. All right. Some of these are, are not episode worthy. And okay. I shared this one with Will today. It's not a whole episode. Yeah. Uh, there was a um, promotion called Wrestlelicious. Yeah. This is important. Okay. What would you do if you ever actually won the Powerball? If you're Jonathan Vargas, you'd take your 35 million and start your own wrestling promotion. Wrestlelicious. <laughs> Var- Vargas was smart enough to know he should find people that know the business and partnered up with Jimmy Hart to get the promotion off the ground. It barely lasted a season of t- TV in 09 and took some of the ta- tawdrier elements of glow and the attitude era to create a unique piece of wrestling history that featured Leva Bates, Daphne and Serena deep two of which are still like getting TV time today. Yeah. This is one that is active and I very much will hope to see with you yeah. very much. I hope our paths cross or that we make, you know, enough funny money to just look our wives in the face and say, Hey, yeah. <laughs> pay no attention. We're going to Connecticut. <laughs> I'll be back. I'll be, be back. Don't worry. Be proud. Interspecies wrestling. Uh-huh. Uh, their wrestling belt for context uh, has a, uh, it's black, silver, and red. And then it has a picture of a raccoon in the middle with X's across its eyes and its tongue out. Okay. <laughs> yep. You read that name, right? Of that promotion, right? Thankfully, the owner, Mike Roch. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> real, real like elementary humor there. All right. Yeah. Luckily, he, Mike Roch didn't hire the sons of terrible ted the wrestling bear or any other deranged wrestling animal what the canada slash connecticut based promotion does do however is cast several performers as werewolves turtles bears bugs 
and you name the type of animal you might find in an 80s WWE locker room, and you're bound to find it in ISW. It sounds almost like, have you heard of like the kaiju battle stuff that happens in yeah. Japan? Where the, yeah. yeah. It sounds like that, but like way worse and also better somehow. So one more for fun. One yeah. more for fun. I just, I, I feel like it's good. Good place to be. Uh, Shakara. All right. Chakara. Yeah. Chakara. Yeah. Much of the silliness of Chakara promotion comes from some of the inventive names for its superstars, like a very mysterious ice cream. <laughs> Huh? Uh, founded by former indie darling Reckless Youth and Mike Quackenbush. Yeah. The Lucha Style promotion's biggest event is the King of Trios tournament, featuring a six man tag team tournament. The current champions are Resistance, a team of masked ants. Yeah, dude. Chikara, um, I can speak a little bit of that. I think a lot of the guys and ladies who came through Nashville at my favorite local promotion. Uh, wrestled Chikara because it, it's they do a lot of stuff in Indiana, right? Or or like in the mid. I don't know if they do. I'm an idiot and I'm missing out. I think I think you might be. Uh, I remember some of my favorite people wrestled there, including some of my favorite local uh, gimmicks like Cabana Man Dan, the master of the flip flop chop. Uh, there's a guy named Boomer Hatfield who wore a lucha libre mask with a big handlebar mustache, like a steampunk guy. Um, they had some really, really cool stuff. I, I didn't really understand what Chikara was uh, until recently. But yeah, I think that they, I, I'm pretty sure, oh, okay, it's based in Philly. But I saw they did a bunch of stuff in um, in Indy, I guess a couple of years ago. Uh, and Mike Quackenbush is like a, is a legit guy, right? Like he was, he was. Uh, I believe so. Yeah. Well, this is all, this is, this is how Wikipedia works. Y'all, this is why wrestling wiki exists. You, you get, you get moving one direction. You end up falling down 18 different holes with a bunch of tabs open. Well, Hey, you know, I hope somewhere this week, listener, I hope you find the paradise lounge in your life that you're looking for. All right. Yeah. Let's all be Johnny legends this week. <laughs> let's, let's let us. <laughs> yeah. Hey, thanks for tagging along. For yeah. another episode of Wrestling Wiki next week, Will will be bringing us our main eventer for the week. Yeah. And I will be presenting your Jobert <laughs> of the week. I, I thought as I thought of something uh, in regards to the jobber. Mm-hmm. You may be a jobber once, but that doesn't mean you're a jobber for life. All right. And I want you to think of that today. Maybe you're out there listening to this podcast. And you're working in some warehouse and you're doing the job or job. Okay. That does not define you. It doesn't. When the boss says, Hey, Randy, get in here, move this box. You're doing the job for him today. That's true. But you're no job. When you go home, yeah. you're the main eventer. You're, you're the prime main time. Eventer. When you make right? that macaroni and cheese and you sit down on your couch, you're a main eventer. That's you're, right. You are, you are ready for TV. Don't let anybody tell you differently. Hey, that seems like a great place to end. Yeah. We'll see you next time, y'all.